the mm. good evening. It is Friday, and it's July 1st. We are in the thick of summer. Are you on the surface of the sun? Here yeah, we are. I'm going to start the recording. Recording. Recording in progress. It's setting up our meeting. It's a meeting, but there's no donuts or coffee. No. <laughs> no, there aren't. Why? DJ, why don't we have donuts or coffee? I, you know, I, I think that we have to talk to our senior showgirl about that. Oh, God. That's not going to be easy. <laughs> the last time we had baked goods in this joint, um, I think I broke a tooth. <laughs> well, they were also like, you know, uh, edibles. They oh. were edibles, DJ. <laughs> well, I, I, there, there is a dispensary in the plaza, so, um, yeah. you know, and that stuff's legal these days. So just, uh, no, just, I know. Uh, just don't hand it out to the kiddos for trick or treat. Mostly. <laughs> Without uh, a more pressing social calendar, I suppose we should get underway. Good evening, and welcome to the beautiful historical marionette theater. Please take your seats. The show is about to begin in just a moment. And uh, please be kind to the ushers. Um, the air conditioning's been a little wonky lately, so... Yeah. And by the way, when he says, be kind to the ushers, he means me. <laughs> that's you, all we got. You know, be careful. There, there are some restraining orders I've heard. Whoa! <laughs> Whatever. Oh, well, Toppy, did yeah. you did you manage to peel yourself off the sidewalk before okay, coming so in? Okay, <laughs> so I just got to tell you, I went for a walk today. It was humid. It was hot. I sweated. I mean, I soaked through my T-shirt. Anyway, it was horrible. Uh, but I did, I did get a walk in. Anyways, I guess that's a win. Hmm. Well, Hubby's been uh, outside quite a bit lately, trying to, you know, uh, keep up with the Joneses, because uh, apparently we have a Mrs. Kravitz in our neighborhood. Really? And uh, I I um, went on my lunch break one day, and the town decided to put a little nasty grandma on there. Now, mind you, we've lived in this house for like a decade, so huh? somebody yeah. knows someone, because otherwise I don't know how there was a complaint Um the the bumpuses had their um you know like a collapsed pool the above yeah. ground pool for those of you with class uh their above ground pool was collapsed laying in their backyard all winter long and okay. uh you know some of their old living room furniture too you can't tell me that that's not nice or but now, wait a minute wait a minute dj <laughs> do you mean to tell me that this neighborhood watch group they pinned you and billy for whatever reason, but I think it's because Mrs. Kravitz's husband, uh, who passed away a few years ago, was somebody that knew somebody. But uh, yeah, Hubby's been spending a fair amount of time outdoors, mostly trying to kill the lawn so we don't have to mow it. Ah. Uh, <laughs> and today he scored a deal on a hedge trimmer. Uh, why buy it brand new when you can get it at your thrift store? <laughs> why not? <laughs> But, you know, Toppy, we are in July now, so there's no doubt yeah. summer is upon us. And uh, just a, a few brief items to touch on. July mm -hmm. is uh, 
a special month for several reasons. Uh, firstly, yeah. it's National Minority Mental Health Awareness Month. So, All right. uh, you know, like it, uh, people have issues and problems. People maybe trying to make ends meet, maybe just trying to pay the bills. And it's important that we keep our mental health in check. So it's uh, National Minority Mental Health Awareness Month. Also... Yep. Um, the 7th, which is uh, in just a week away here. It's National Father-Daughter Take-A-Walk. Yeah. I, I have to wonder if that was the original title, because, I mean, if I was in that meeting, take a hike, eh, probably would have gotten voted down. <laughs> kind of. I'm kind of with you there. Uh, take a walk. Oh, well, or take a hike. Anyway, it, well, fine. They could, you know, there you go. And, uh, yeah, no, for, for uh, the foodies out there, the 20th is National Hot Dog Day. Oh, God. <laughs> Do you like the hot dogs, GJ? You know, I uh, I could I could pass on them, but uh, here in the, the western New Yorks, we have our, our own version of hot dogs. I want to say that they are probably something carried on from the German immigrants who settled in this part of the country. <laughs> um, they're, they're called White Hot. Oh yeah, that's right. Some people call them hot links, but they're they have a light colored casing, and you know, uh, out here in the Western New York, there's a special brand that I won't mention, but I love White Hots. Okay, I'm with you. And um, so, other than the National Hot Dog Day, the other foodie thing is uh, on the 17th. This National Ice Cream Day, and um, right. I don't know about you, but uh, hubby is kind of a, an ice cream snob, and I mean that in the most loving way because we read labels, and so many of those brands that we grew up with, like in the 80s, where they say it's all natural. Well. Yeah. Explain to me how guar gum is all natural. Okay, that I don't know about that guar gum, and it ain't natural. But uh, yeah, you know, I know what you mean. I remember the old commercials with the kids reading the label on the tub of Briar's ice cream, and it used to be milk, cream, sugar—all the things that were simple words. And it's just like, have you read your labels lately? <laughs> <laughs> Anyways, I think I heard that ice cream truck coming around the corner there. Right. So our senior showgirl is probably just awaiting to tell us about tonight's film. Are you there, madame? I am. Ooh. Listen, I just want to know. Listen, my girlfriends and I saw this movie, this local hero thing, when it was released. And, and 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 we planned a trip to Scotland because we really dug it. You know what I mean? Mm. Um, but it didn't pan out because my friend that invested the money, well, it was invested in bootleg rock skirts, uh, uh, t-shirts. <laughs> uh, anyways, DJ, what I'm trying to tell you is, um, um that friend was called Dropkick. Because her name was Murphy, and she dropped kicked me like a bad habit. That's all I want to say. Okay? It was a terrible plan. Oh. Anyways, I doubt anybody knows what I'm talking about, but it happened. <laughs> okay. Boy, you know, you guys should really see Gertie's outfit tonight. She is in full regalia. She's got her kilt on, and she's even got a feather in her hair. Yeah. 
So, well, madame, if you'll get down to the stage, we're going to yeah. introduce tonight's show. Okay, I'll be down there. All righty, here we go. Mac is an enterprising young bachelor who's been sent to the old country on a mission for his employer, Big Oil. His boss wants to buy the whole town, and he's been sent to seal the deal with a case full of money. Little does he know, he's about to fall in love with the slower pace of life abroad. But the clock's still ticking, and Mac has a deadline. Will the locals take his money? Will he spot the comet the boss has been asking about? Well, grab yourself a shot glass and, uh, yeah, a wetsuit. <laughs> it's time for Local Hero with Burt Lancaster and Peter Rygert. Hit it, boys. What do you get when you take a dash to the silver screen? A pinch of golden oldies? a smidgen of screaming. It's time for Matinee Minutia with your host, DJ and Toppy. Alrighty, righty So we've got a little bit of an escape planned this evening. We're getting away to the coast of the North Atlantic there oh, where yeah. we... Uh, you know, you might hear some bagpipes, and there there might be some golf because the 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 Irish and the Scots they've been feuding for ages on who invented that old game. Yeah, yeah, uh, clubbing those balls out of the golf. Anyways, there's golfers playing. Uh, DJ, this movie came out in 1983, mm-hmm. so now I really like to know what was going on in the world then. The world in 1983. Oh, I was knee-high to a, well, more than a grasshopper. In 83, the musical Annie was performed on Broadway for the last of 2,377 shows. Wow. In Hawaii, Mount Kilauea began erupting and is still to this day in some level. Apple released the Lisa, the first commercial computer. I think that was the name of the oh. late, the, uh, the, uh, Pinup lady in uh, Weird Science, they're Lisa. All right. Uh, U.S. EPA, the Environmental Protection Agency, began evacuation, say that three times fast, of a dioxin-contaminated small town in Missouri called Times Beach. President Reagan, yes, the the Californian who was a movie star and when it ran for office, announced the Star Wars, not the movie, but the missile defense program. In Maine, schoolgirl Samantha Smith was invited to the Soviet Union after her letter about fears of nuclear war was read. Well, I'm, I'm afraid of nuclear war. No, no. No, actually, this was kind of a thing, wasn't it? It was, and little did we know that Duck and Cover just didn't cut it. (laughs) Oh, Jesus. uh, TJ. (laughs) Oh, my God. To this day, though, we we no longer have nuclear shelters in public spaces. Uh, I've, uh, I've attended a school or two that had those things, and those signs have all been removed. So I guess it's all storage now. I don't know. Anyways, in, in 83, National Missing Children's Day began, and it was due to one of the first missing children's cases to have a photo appear on a milk carton 
child named Itan Khalil Potts. Um, let's see now. Uh, and it was proclaimed by President Reagan at the time. Astronaut Sally Ride became the first woman in space. Also in 83, Gionin Bluford became the first Amer- African-American astronaut in space. Vanessa Williams became the first African-American woman crowned Miss America until they found those dirty pictures. Uh, and Reagan signed a bill creating a federal holiday on the third Monday of every January to honor American civil rights leader Martin Luther King Jr. Now, I think Nancy probably twisted his arm on that one. Uh, the FDA. Maybe, DJ, got, I got to ask you something. Uh-huh. Uh, speaking of... Um, okay, correct me. I may be... Comp- Completely wrong. I may be insane. Maybe this never happened. But there was some woman who went up in space and that thing came back down and then put on a diaper, rode halfway across the, the country be- <laughs> so that she could piss and and that and get to some place where she could kill someone. Am I making that up? I Anyways, remember I should, hearing yeah. about this. Okay. Anyways, I'm sorry I brought it up. It's just that it amused me horribly for just an instance. Did, did the did the lights blink for a moment? I think I, I lost know. time. I don't know. Uh, DJ, we got some celebrity boys. Yes, um, sir. And uh, it happened in 1983. Uh, Carrie Underwood, don't you know? That country musician. Yeah, born. Uh, Myla Kunis, uh, she was on that 70s shows and uh, Jupiter Ascending. And she's By the a, way, did you know she's the wife of Ashton Kutcher? Well, she is. I, anyway, she was born. I was just going to say she's Mrs. Kutcher. Now, um, also today in particular, not 1983, but today, July 1st, is also the birth of Aerosmith lead singer Steven Tyler's daughter, Liv Tyler. Yeah. Did she put on a diaper and try to murder someone? Um, if she did, she told her therapist about okay. it and no one else. <laughs> All right. Just wondering. Just wondering. So, Toppy, this is a movie that we're talking about tonight, yeah. Local Hero. And uh, as we mentioned, it came out in uh, the tender year of 1983. Yeah. And uh, came out in April of 83 in fact now the other things that were it at the theaters that you're competing for your attention at the top of the box office included of course number one return of the jedi and that was uh bringing in 252 million do you believe me toppy when i tell you that was the first movie i saw at a theater (laughs) are you serious Okay, I'm depressed now. Oh, it's the little things in life. Um, So number two uh, at 108 million was Terms of Endearment. Now that's not the one with the rabbit in the the uh, pot, right? No, no, no. That's completely. (laughs) Oh, that's Fatal Attraction. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Alrighty. So number three, uh, you know, um, bringing us back to your days in. Leggings and and uh, you know what? hair bands. Flash <laughs> Flash dance. Oh come on! I I heard about you and Aunt Tappy reenacting no. that scene. No 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 no. Well, okay maybe. Yeah. Oh, may, well that was private dancer. I'm sorry. Okay, yeah. so uh, local hero. Um, this was a film that was made abroad. It was filmed in Scotland, of course, on location. It was released in April of that year. It 
wasn't quite the top of the box office, Not of course, because really. we love the underdog. We just we we love it. We stroke it. We kiss it and hug it. Oh my so, god! <laughs> <laughs> that 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 was uh, a callback to the Warner Brothers animated series okay. Animaniacs. Okay, gotcha. Little Elmira, who loves her stray animals. Anyways, Local Hero was number 98 that year. It brought in $5.8 million, so we don't know if Burt Lancaster had an IOU. Oh. Uh, but a little better than... No, no. Actually, just uh, Lancaster tack, tacked on to the end of the profits, and he, he, made a, a, he did a nice little... So he made out fine. Ah, so he used his own wallet, perhaps. So Kind of. Yeah, he was maybe one of the investors, it sounds like. Alrighty, so um, let's see now. So one better than Local Hero was uh, bringing in $5.97 Because when you're at that place in the box office, those digits after the decimal make a difference. <laughs> mm-hmm. In 83, the film The Hunger... Now, this is, sounds interesting to me because it not only stars uh, Susan Sarandon, who I have it on good authority is a, a, a favorite of uh, our dear friend uh, Tommy Hashbrown's there, but uh, also the, the white duke, Mr. David Bowie, was in this film. Yeah, the this, this, was a, uh, this was a heavily effed up uh, <laughs> movie. Uh, that 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 had wonderful visuals. First of all, <laughs> wonderful visuals. With that kind of setup, I think it means we're destined to talk about it. <laughs> <laughs> well, someday we should. It should be in here somewhere. Anyways, uh, it uh, d- d- very unusual, uh, kind of weird. It's called. And, uh, it was about a love triangle that developed between a beautiful yet dangerous vampire, her yeah. cellist companion. And a gerontologist, which I had to look up as an old age doctor. Yeah. And uh, just below Local Hero in the box office, uh, I hate to admit it, Porky's Toe. Oh, Jesus, <laughs> DJ, did you have to, you had to mention that? Okay. I don't think that I've ever sat through one of those movies. I'm sure my brother watched them with well, dear old dad. I never did either, and... Uh, Let's pretend we never mentioned it. <laughs> okay. Uh, DJ, mm-hmm. I'd love to hear the trailer at this point because it's going to feature the person that wrote the music for it, Mark Knopfler. <laughs> What's his name, DJ? Um, wasn't he in a band? I forgot I, I forgot who what band he was. Uh, Tommy, in the chat room, let us know um, what band the author of the soundtrack was in. No, oh, but it's not Knopfler. Knopfler. Knopfler? Knopfler. Anyways, play that trailer. Play, play that trailer. There is a place where the northern lights transform the sky. Anything out of the ordinary, you telephone me, night or day. Modern mermaids spring from the sea. What's the most amazing thing you ever found? Impossible to say. See, there's something amazing every two or three weeks. The land breathes with an ancient mystery. Where are we? And all who witness its wonders come to believe in its magic. What about the sky? The sky, sir, is amazing. 
I wish you could see it. I wish I could describe it to you just like I'm seeing it. This is the new film from the producer of Chariots of Fire, Local Hero. The survey teams have found just about the only suitable bay on the entire coast. I think we should get a negotiator on the side right away. We're here on kind of a mission. Same here. I don't want to be coy with you, Gordon. We want to buy the whole place. We want to buy everything from the cliffs to the north through to the bay on the far side. That's all. Oh, boy. Are we going to be rich? Peter Riegert. Bert Lancaster. Take the chopper. Go to Aberdeen. Get on over to Houston. I want to stay here. Run the hotel. Do little bits of business. You can go to Houston. Take the Porsche, the house, the job. It's a good life there, Gordon. Local hero. <laughs> the story of an ordinary man who cared enough to do something extraordinary. Local hero. That's that's a little bit of the music you hear there from the the person that did the score, and uh, Tommy Hasbrown's wrote it was uh, Knopfler, and by the way he went on to do Good Lord what was his next big thing Oh it's a movie we've already done DJ mm-hmm. he did the music for The Princess Bride Oh okay let's let's take a moment to reclaim some happy memories from childhood <laughs> anyways toppy we've got a bunch of people that made this film and uh, you know we've we've uh, had many things in the past in this building including magic acts the director of the film is sort of a magician tell us about mr bill force forsyth oh, okay i gotta tell you bill forsyth for me is a pretty special filmmaker uh he um, was the director and writer for Local Hero and also his other great movie, memorable movie, Gregory's Girl from 1981. Forsyth was born in 46 in Glasgow, Scotland. And uh, imagine this. Uh, he finished high school bitterly, and at the age of 17, he spent the next eight years making short documentary films just because he wanted to, and he got into it. And he formed this studio called Tree Films, and he did all these short documentary films for like eight years, and it's like how he trained himself. And uh, then he, he wrote and directed his first movie, Super Low Budget, in 1979. It was called That Sinking Feeling. It was a British comedy about a group of board teams who came up with, well, what they thought was a great theft caper. And Forlish, Forsyth accomplished this mus- movie so cheaply by using a group of youth theater actors that he would go on to use in subsequent movies. So the, the, the this movie was, it was kind of like a wonderkind. You know what I mean? Like people saw this sinking feeling and thought, well, this guy, you know, I don't know who he is or where he came from, but he's got a lot of promise. And, because of the relative success of of that movie, 
he went on to do Gregory's Girl in 1981, and that featured, uh, like I said, a lot of the same actors, and in, in particular, John Gordon Sinclair. And it was also the acting debut of Claire Grogan. And it was a major hit and won Best Screenplay in that year's BAFTA Awards. That's over there in the UK, kids. But in 1983, he went one better. One better. It was Local Hero, the movie we're doing tonight. It was produced by David Putnam, featuring Burt Lancaster. It was rated in the top 100 films of the 1980s by Premiere Magazine and won Forsyth another BAFTA, this time for his directing. Well, uh... Forsyth went on to do another movie in 84. It's called Comfort and Joy about a Glasgow radio station. DJ caught in a rivalry between ice cream companies, which again featured actor Claire Grogan. Finally, in 87, Forsyth made his American debut, directing the movie Housekeeping. It was an adaptation of Marilyn Robinson's 1981 novel. It marked the first time Forsyth made a film based on another work because his previous work he had written, he had originated, he came up with it. And uh, this housekeeping, uh, he just, he, he made the movie out of someone else's idea. And... Here's, here's, here's what happened, folks. In 1984, he did Being Human, starring Robin Williams. And it was a terrible experience for him. And he was forced to make major changes to it. And that unpleasant experience made Forsyth walk away forever from the industry. So we have these very few gems and the origins that he did. But he admitted that he never really enjoyed the process of making movies. He thought of himself, he thought of himself as much more of a writer. And uh, to this day, he's never made another movie after being human. And he is kind of a reclusive that lives somewhere in the western Scottish countryside. And he enjoys writing new stories. And he's very, very much enthused if other filmmakers make something out of them. So that's where he's been all these years, just uh, in his own little world living his life and writing and uh, he bid his his <laughs> filmmaking career goodbye a long time ago hmm. okay so we have a few minutes until we're at the midway point of the uh, show tonight so we could take a moment to talk about the uh, the film and its special significance now Toppy if I'm doing my math correctly this film came out about uh, the, the year you were uh, of age to drink. <laughs> 21. Mm-hmm. Now, now, listen, I found that hard to believe. I'll just tell you right now. I found that hard to believe, but it's true. This, I saw this God move, goddamn move when I was 21. 
And uh, I'll just tell you, uh, it entered my heart and never left. And that first watching, mm, I'll never forget it. It is one of the greatest movie experiences of my life. That's how, that's how good I think it is. So um, I hope, I hope people will go in and see this if they haven't. You know, and uh, upon my first viewing, I, of course, uh, caught it mostly because I have an affinity for all things sci-fi. And this is one of the first films that, that Peter Capaldi appeared in. But he's just a baby. He sure is. He's all now, listen. 25 in this. Okay, so I never caught this connection to Doctor Who. And of course, many years later, he was Doctor Who. At any rate, I just never caught this. Mm. And indeed, local heroes, Capaldi's, like first movie, and there's an interview with him where he talks about, like, I didn't know what the hell I was doing. I wasn't an actor. And he really cut his teeth on this movie. And with Bill Forsythe, the director, directing him, he, he just just had to go with whatever his direction was. And uh, I don't know about you, DJ, but Capaldi in this movie is... <laughs> I just want to say he's freaking brilliant. I don't care if it's his first movie and he didn't know what he was doing. My God, he is so appealing, so endearing. I love him in this. <laughs> you know, because uh, spoiler, he he falls for the you know the the lab lady. I mean, the local girl, I suppose you could say, and uh, he just decides that he's going to win her over by. Soaking up her interests, he learns as much as he can. He hangs out at the same beach every day. And, uh, you know, before long, he's telling her about how he has a great love of languages. And he he actually even starts speaking to her in some of those other languages just to show her that he's not your ordinary guy. And there's just one point. He's kind of making love to her on the seashore, on these rocks, with the sea below him. And she, she, she's always in a wetsuit. She's always swimming. And uh, uh, he, pulls, he pulls her foot up, and she's got webbed toes. And we never know. We never know over the course of the movie. Is she, what's her, is she a mermaid? We think maybe she's a mermaid. Mm-hmm. Anyways, it's part of the magic realism of this movie, and it leaves it. It's just, it's just a thing that happens. Oh, uh, and the and the great movie, and the great part about it is, is that she's all about the location. There, she is paying attention to what's going on with the sea. She spends her days there, and it's it's sort of. Um, you know, a precursor of things to come because in many years later, that's what science becomes is interested in how mankind is affecting the earth around us. So she yeah. was there kind of to spearhead that. But yeah, well, exactly. And um, it's a bit of it's a bit of magic realism it, in this wonderful 
movie. I can't tell you. I just can't tell you. Folks, DJ's going to tell you about one of the big players in this movie. Uh, it, yes, uh, right after a brief okay. break. <laughs> I was just going to say, Toppy, I don't know about you, but I think that Kapal, uh, the, the gal, I'm forgetting her name right now, um, the, the scientist gal has the best line in the movie when he goes to you know, play with her feet and uh, he says, you're salty. And she's like, and you're fresh. <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> that was cute. That uh, was cute. So um, we're going to play for you part of a documentary that's fe- been featured by the BBC, uh, BBC One, and uh, it's Movie Connections. And this is the cast of Local Hero making the film. When Local Hero was released in 1983, the partnership between award-winning producer David Putnam and acclaimed writer-director Bill Forsyth seemed a perfect match. In fact, their first date had happened four years earlier. I've never had this experience before. I, I watched that sinking feeling, and within three minutes of it starting, I knew I wanted to work with him. I mean, I just knew that this was a what really original mind. What did we do with ourselves? Well, for a start, was my O levels. Two. Ah. Now there's a fair advantage, Mike, say. And he pulls back and he's talking to the statue in the park. I thought, hang on, anyone that's had that idea, I want a world. I want some of that. That sinking feeling, made in 1979, shot on spare ends of discarded film stock with a cast of unknowns from the Glasgow Youth Theatre, was Bill Forsyth's first foray into movies after his early years making corporate documentaries. When Bill was looking for a producer for his next project, David Putnam seemed the obvious choice. He'd asked me to produce um, Gregory's Girl, which, foolishly, I turned down, simply because I'd done a number of Rites of Passage movies. But I did have this idea. I'd read in a newspaper article about a local accountant in the islands who had sued an oil company for spillage. At that time, in the, in the late 70s, early 80s, uh, Aberdeen, you know, was oil town, was frontier town. It was full of Americans because Scotland had no history in the oil business and so everyone that, had any, that, that was working in it was, you know, was American. When his research threw up more stories of the culture clash between Texas and Tanakh Bray, Bill Forsyth sensed the comic possibilities. What I did was slightly subvert it and take it away from the actual nuts and bolts of the oil industry and place it in a, a little corner of Scotland and, and look into the consequences of the oil industry being there rather than you know, the oil industry itself. Bill's story for Local Hero revolves around an executive at Knox Oil & Gas in Houston, chosen to go to Scotland to acquire a site for a new refinery, purely because of his name. McIntyre, sir. Keeping his Hungarian roots quiet, he's summoned to see the boss, stargazer Felix Happer. You're going to Scotland, McIntyre. The old country. Yes, sir. Virgo is well up this time of the year. Funnily enough, I had read an article, an interview with Burt Lancaster, where he said that his one regret in his career up to that point was that he hadn't been involved in more comedy. And that kind of triggered something in me. And so from that point on, I was actually writing for him. Lancaster was a long shot, but there'd be absolutely no chance of getting him without a Hollywood-sized budget. Warner Brothers had first refusal on all David Putnam's projects, and in 1981, he seemed a safe bet after working with new directors like Ridley Scott, Alan Parker and Hugh Hudson, director of the recently released Chariots of Fire. I'd had a real run of success with Midnight Express and Chariots, and I just thought it was a slam dunk when I took um, Local Hero to, 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 to show them, and they turned it down. I think it's fair to say that Warner didn't understand it. 
and weren't particularly enthusiastic. Um, Bill didn't have a particular track record at that time. I think initially Gregory's Girl hadn't really dawned on their radar screen. Ian Smith had worked with both Bill and David as location manager on Chariots of Fire and production manager on Bill's earlier documentaries. With Warners having passed on Local Hero, Putnam's biggest hope for funding had gone, and getting Burt Lancaster on board would take a miracle. Cue miracle. It was a combination of circumstances. Um, Lancaster was over for a BAFTA, and David was BAFTA laden that year with Chariots of Fire. David Putnam for Chariots of Fire. And it was the most extraordinary thing happened. As I collected my BAFTA and walked back to the, my table, uh, I passed the Goldcrest table, and a man called James Lee stopped me on the way back to my table and said, uh, local hero, you still want to do it? I said, yes. He said, you've got the rest of the money, congratulations. Shook hands, went back to my table, and he was as good as his word. So it was perfect. It all happened one night. <laughs> Okay. Let's not waste any more time. Let's Certainly. get into the cast. DJ Burt Lancaster, mm-hmm. he's, the, he's the big heavy they oh, brought in yes to make sir. this happen. Alrighty, so walking down this uh, hallway of fame here, the first star on the dressing room is Mr. Burt Lancaster, who played Felix Happer, the big boss in this film. Uh, the guy head of the, uh, the Knox Oil Company. Now, Burt Lancaster was born in New York, the Big Apple. He's the grandson of Northern Irish immigrants, and he was a tough street kid who took an early interest in gymnastics before becoming an actor. He joined the circus as an acrobat and worked there until he was injured. And it was in uh, the uh, it was while he was in the army during World War II that he was introduced to the USO and acting. Those are the folks that entertain the troops. And uh, he didn't start acting, though, until he was 31, so much later than uh, folks uh, these days. Isn't that amazing? Mm. That's amazing. Local Hero was Lancaster's 76th film. This guy never left the studio. He was just working all the time. His film prior to Local Hero was a film in 81, which was an Italian-language film called The Skin, and it was about a liberated liberated Naples during World War II. It was was in Italian, so. Uh, But his American film that year was Cattle Annie and Little Britches. Okay, so if you dial it back to just before the holidays, we discussed a movie called Touched by Love, and that film starred a young Diane Lane, which was oh. just about the time this movie Cattle Annie and Little Britches came out. So these were right. a couple of her earliest movies. And uh, that film was about two teens in the 1800s, the Old West in Oklahoma, who wanted to join up with outlaws because they were, they were such fans of them. Uh, now, Mr. Lancaster's film after uh, Local Hero was The Osterman Weekend, and this was in uh, 83, of course, also, but with Mr. John Hurt. Now, this cast makes me want to see this movie, The Osterman Weekend. John Hurt, Dennis Hopper, and everybody's favorite TV football coach, Craig T. Nelson. Ah! It's uh, during the Cold War, a controversial television journalist is asked by the CIA to persuade certain acquaintances who were Soviet agents of the Omega Network to defect. 
Yeah, that was one of a couple of thrillers he did late in his career. Hmm. Now, an unabashed political liberal, chairman of the uh, American Civil Liberties Union, Foundation of Southern California, and an active campaigner, campaigner, get the word right, DJ, uh, for Georgia McGovern in the 72 presidential election. Lancaster was one of, okay, this tells you, uh, you know, the the level of person this president was. Tricky Dick had hundreds of people on a list of, the, of his enemies back in 73. 575! Uh, wouldn't it have been easier to make a list of his friends? Anyways, uh, they all went to jail, I guess. Along with the fellow actors Gene Hackman and Paul Newman as well as Playboy magazine publisher Hugh Hefner and TV producer Norman Lear. I knew there was a reason I liked that guy. They were all on Nixon's shit list. Before Toppy did a show called it. uh, it uh, uh, Lancaster turned down the lead in Patton in uh, 1970. Well, I'm okay with that because what's-his-face was so good. George C. Scott. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> Due to his anti-Vietnam War sympathies, Lancaster turned it down, but he actively campaigned for the title role. Uh, anyways, he made a great deal of money for uh, the film in 70 called Airport. It was a huge hit, and due to a 10% profit participation, so, you know, he, he negotiated his part. Once the movie hit $50 million, which it grossed $45.3 million in North America alone. Lancaster said that the movie was the worst piece of junk ever made. Blomp, blomp. Uh, you know, Bow. it was trash, but it made me it paid well, the bills. It was one of the disaster movies that spawned the rest of the airport movies. Yeah. That was, that was before they decided you could save the day with a bobby pin. Oh, that was another. That was another airplane movie. Leslie Nielsen. Anyways, until undergoing emergency quadruple heart bypass surgery. Okay, people, um, easy on the bacon. In '83, uh, he maintained the fa- Lancaster maintained the fantastic physical health he attained as an acrobat in his youth up until this point. He impressed many who knew him with his apparently enormous strength. Okay, well, you know, eat right and get hit by a bus. Anyways, um, one, ah. of the few humanita- one of the few humanitarian causes he publicly associated himself with, and this is why we love Mr. Lancaster. Here it is, folks. Listen to this. Was with AIDS research. In 85, he read out a letter from Rock Hudson announcing he was dying of AIDS, although there was later some controversy as to whether the letter was written by Hudson or his secretary. It was later revealed that Bruce Valanche wrote the letter on his behalf. Um, anyways, uh, this was at a Hollywood dinner to raise awareness, and only a very few stars, such as Elizabeth Taylor and Burt Reynolds, dared attend this event. And uh, in 88, there was a poster of Lancaster holding a rose and a caption urging people to be careful during the, the uh, beginning of the AIDS crisis. Um, now, most um, most remarkably, at the end of Mr. Lancaster's career, he had 87 acting credits. And we mentioned all of that because he, he was more than an actor. He was an activist. Um, let's go to the next guy in this movie, 
Peter Riegert, or is it Riegert? I heard the the, the locals in uh, that country call it Riegert. Okay, Riegert. And he played the oil company exec Mac McIntyre. He was born in 47. He's an American actor, director, and screenwriter. He was born in the Bronx, but he grew up in Hartsdale, New York. He graduated from Ardsley High School in 64. Later from, hey, DJ, not far from us, the University at Buffalo. How about that? Oh, the Queen City. Yeah. Uh, He he had a a lot of jobs, as you might imagine, teaching, waiting tables, being a social worker. Uh, Before he settled, he just said, no, I'm going to be an actor. And that's what he pursued. And he made his Broadway debut in the musical Dance With Me. And also, he was in The Old Neighborhood. He was in An American Daughter, The Nerd, and Censored Scenes from King Kong. DJ, Mm -hmm. I want to see Censored Scenes (laughs) from King Kong. All right. So, uh, he went on to television after Broadway. Uh, He was in a couple of episodes of M.A.S.H., he was in The Sopranos. He was in Law and Order, Special Victims Unit. He starred opposite his former girlfriend. Yeah, for a little while he dated Bette Midler in the television adaptation of Gypsy and was featured in the HBO drama Barbarians at the Gate, which I remember got a lot of press. And it earned him an Emmy Award nomination for Outstanding Supporting Actor in a Miniseries Special. He starred in the 84 miniseries Alice Island. He was in the final episode of Seinfeld. He portrayed the president of NBC. And uh, he was in the television movie Back When We Were Grown-Ups. He also voiced controversially the character of Max Weinstein in an episode of the family guy that was called When You Wish Upon a Weinstein. Uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, yeah. Anyways, uh, most recently, he's uh, had a recurring role as left-wing lawyer Roger Pugh on season three of the HBO series Succession. He's been around a long time, guys. But do you remember what he debuted in? It was the movie National Lampoon's Animal house oh <laughs> how about that and uh after that movie he was in crossing delancey he was in the mask he was in traffic and he was in we bought a zoo and then uh for us he was in local Harry hero tj there's another actor in here mm-hmm. that i just loved i i didn't know who he was i didn't know i didn't know what Goddamn thing about him, but he played he played the partner of um, Peter Riegert and, and 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 his name's Peter Capaldi. Tell us mm-hmm. about him. All right, it's my pleasure to introduce to you the gentleman who would later in life become known as the Twelfth Doctor on Doctor Who. Oh, oh, so Mr. Peter Capaldi in uh, Local Hero played Danny Olsen. Uh, otherwise known as the the guy who flirted with the the lab girl in the 
first few yeah, moments the, he the saw possible, her. The possible mermaid. <laughs> you know, and, he, and he, he said his name with his eyes to Jenny. Oh, well, Mr. Capaldi was born in Scotland. Now, uh, his father's parents were of Italian descent, and they actually owned an ice cream parlor. So we we uh, had a bit of a mention uh, during our intermission there about uh, a film that involved some ice cream there. So, you know, perhaps uh, that was something that uh, Mr. Capaldi enjoyed. Anyways, prior to becoming an actor, he also worked as a graphic designer for BBC Scotland. Now, Local Hero was only his second film role. It's probably a larger part than the first. Just prior, he had a supporting role in a film called Living Apart Together, which was about a Scottish singer-songwriter who returns home to save his marriage after an American tour. Over the next five years, Capaldi would star in only four films after 83, but he would appear in more than twice as many television shows in the UK. Capaldi was the lead singer of a punk rock band called Dream Boys. Some of you who've watched Doctor Who have seen him play electric guitar. That's real. And uh, this band included late night host Craig Ferguson as the drummer and uh, Temple Clark as the bassist. Now, he, uh, Capaldi became an actor because of his love of Doctor Who. He, he actually wrote a fan letter to uh, one of the actors who played uh, the, the huh. evil nemesis, uh, the master. Okay. Uh, the hope was that he would one day get to appear on the show. In 92, he auditioned for another famous sci-fi role. Now, Tommy, in the chat room, here is your Star Trek connection tonight. In 1992, Peter Capaldi auditioned for the second Star Trek spin-off being made, Deep Space Nine. He auditioned for the role of Commander Sisko, the space station oh, commander. How about that? Uh, so, but of course, he, he didn't get the part, went to Mr. Avery Brooks. Now, Capaldi in later years declined the honor of the officer of the Brit- Order of the British Empire, so he didn't want to be knighted. Um, huh. There's a few people who are humble enough to, to decline the honor. That's interesting. Uh, for his services to drama. He was offered the role of the eighth Doctor in Doctor Who. Now, some of you may not realize it, but there was a time that there was no Doctor Who on television. BBC canceled the series in the 90s, and there was an attempt to bring it to America. Fox partnered with BBC, and they created a pilot episode. It was a TV movie, which was very poorly promoted in the fall of 96. Um, now, Peter Capaldi auditioned for this role, or rather he was offered it, but he turned it down because he thought it was not likely that he'd be given the part. And of course, as we all know, years and years later, he would later be cast as the 12th Doctor uh, as of 2014. It was a secret he had to keep under his hat for a while because apparently his daughter is a big fan and in the UK... Doctor Who is as big as the evening news. Uh, Mm. So, um, let's see here now. Uh, Following Capaldi's three-year run on Doctor Who, 
he would appear in five films over the next five years, which included Paddington 2. Also, with Ewan McGregor, Christopher Robin. He did a oh. voice on that. Yeah. Uh, he w- he, he uh, loves magic, and so, of course, he was in the personal history of David Copperfield. And more recently, correct me if I'm wrong, I get my uh, my comic series is mixed up. I think this is Marvel, The Suicide uh, Squad. DC. DC. Ah, the other guys. Okay. Yeah. So, to date, Mr. Capaldi has 130 acting credits and and isn't he charming in local hero i my would god dj he's to, so charming to 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 uh to tip my hat to the order of the british empire i would fall on my sword for mr capaldi's autograph and sadly that didn't happen because the convention we were supposed to go to to meet him a few years back eh, got canned okay <laughs> well Anyways, uh, Local Hero, what a marvelous movie. Uh, I'll never forget it. I've watched it a hundred times. I am so... I just don't know how to describe how I feel when I see it. It's a special movie. It's a special movie for me. (laughs) I think a lot of people... You know, uh, as I watch, I feel the same way. Uh, as I watch this movie, I can't help but place it in a category of escaping. When you have a period in your life where maybe you feel like you can't do anything right, or the world's crashing around you, there are certain movies that I like to watch that make me think about anywhere else, like Joe versus the volcano, or. Um, Oh, I'm forgetting the name of that uh, Tom other Tom Hanks movie where he's stranded on the island. <laughs> uh, so, um, it's not Survivor, but uh, yeah, yeah, yeah. But yeah. Uh, you know, uh, there's there's many movies that are destinations and <laughs> exotic places, and it just Wilson, Wilson. <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. <laughs> oh, I can't remember it. Someone in the chat room, tell me what the Tom Hanks movie was. Anyways, so yes, um, Local Hero just makes me want to get away because I've only left the country once and it's been way too long. Makes me want to get my passport stamped because who doesn't enjoy a change of scenery and certainly being somewhere where you're not recognized, your boss isn't going to call you in. Uh, maybe your family members aren't going to reach you because this is 1983, of course. You know, they're not going to call you yourself. That's the other thing that was so charming about this movie, Toppy. Yeah. Uh, before all the technology hit us, the man has to get change in the bar to use the payphone that's at the beach. Yeah. <laughs> that's really cute. and And that's really... I mean, they didn't make that up. It was just the only way it could happen back then. Uh, there's so many things uh, about this movie that that um, that uh, w- a woman who looked like uh, Katie Lopper, uh, uh, Cindy Lopper. Yeah, she was a, a punk in this. Oh yes. You know, <laughs> otherwise, you know, f- full of. Uh, uh, sailors who, um, you know, trapped lobster. And here was this woman 
all dressed up with wild hair, uh, like Cindy Lauper. And uh, you just felt like, yeah, this is, yeah, that's the way it was. There was a person like this in this community, and she was completely accepted. One of the wonderful things about Bill Forsythe is that he was a master at making movies that had conflict. And you could say maybe uh, there was a bad guy, but there was never really any bad guys because to, to Forsyth, that's not that's not how the world was made. Uh, there were people who turned things one way or another, but nobody was really evil. Nobody was really a bad guy. And in this movie, there are no bad guys. And uh, the conflict goes along and resolves itself uh, to, I think, you know, an amazing conclusion. And it's all without, you know, some kind of bad guy. And it's pretty amazing. You know, and if, if for nothing else, folks, you watch this movie and um, it, it, it's just uh, one of those things where you see Burt Lancaster's character and you don't really know how serious to take him because he's that eccentric, you know, million billionaire type. And it, for goodness sake, at one point he presses some buttons on a console, the ceiling from his office recesses and he, pla- uh, he has a planetarium <laughs> in his office. <sighs> and then on top of that, you got that. Uh, I'm going to borrow uh, a, a phrase from our, uh, our dearly absent uh, friend Wanda, Wackaloon therapist who's t- trying to get him to come out of his shell and get mad, who ends up cr- climbing on the building, yeah, and, and spelling out you know some cursing and, and, and it's just gold because he ends up calling security and telling him that there's a loon on the roof shoot yeah. to kill. Anyways, it's beautiful. Those moments. It's, this movie is filled with moments of of great humor and personal touches, like you wouldn't believe. DJ, I want to talk to you about one point in the movie mm-hmm. where I had my doubts, and to this day, I still have my doubts about it. In this wonderful movie, there's a moment. That I, I'm not sure I'm behind, mm-hmm. and I wonder if you know what scene I'm talking about. I'm gonna cross my fingers. <laughs> I got to tell you, towards the end of the movie, mm-hmm. the members of the community that really want to hit it big, you know, they want to sell their property, are up against some old guy on the beach Mm -hmm. who they find out owns the whole coast due to some ancient, uh, I don't know, it was bequeathed to him. Mm -hmm. And uh, it's there. I mean, it's somehow written. And everybody uh, finds out that this old guy, he's kind of a, I don't know. You know, people look at him and he's like kind of goofy and he, he just likes to collect things on the uh-huh. beach. The things that wash ashore are valuable to him. And uh, he doesn't want to leave the beach because if he wasn't there, who would take care of it? Mm-hmm. Anyways, 
The townspeople realize this guy on the beach is going to prevent them from getting all of this money. And what do they do? They start coming down to the beach in this one scene. DJ, do you remember this? I do. They're coming from the church, aren't they? Yeah. And they're coming down and it's a little dark. The sun is setting. And the entire community is coming down there because they don't want to miss out on this opportunity. Mm-hmm. And DJ, the one part of this movie that I have a problem with is what were they going to do? What were they going to do to make this change? What were they going to do to this guy on the beach? Oh. We never find out because... Uh, Burt Lancaster's character comes in on a helicopter mm-hmm. and intervenes. But there's this one dark <laughs> moment that if you can imagine went on, you have to wonder, holy Jesus, what would they have done to this old man oh. on the beach? And that is my that is my one part of this movie that they fully go through where I'm going. Oh, this is too dark. I don't like this. I don't like this. It it was a moment that very much evoked the images of the angry villagers with pitchforks. Yes! It looked like it was going to be an old-fashioned witch hunt. I didn't like it, DJ. It didn't feel like it belonged in this movie. Yeah, I, I would tend to agree. And it's kind of interesting that Lancaster, of course... Uh, you know, for part of his career was in Westerns. And here he is arriving in a helicopter so much as a modern day cowboy, just saving the day. Absolutely. But, um, you know, I don't know that this would necessarily give a spoiler, but there is an interesting connection between the eccentric man on the beach and the history of the oil company. Did you make that connection? Yeah, his name his name is the same. Mm-hmm. Um, not 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 well. Knox. Knox. Yeah, yeah, like like the like the low budget gelatin snack. <laughs> That's the name of the guy on the beach. Uh, and it's just a very fleeting moment during the movie. In fact, I probably didn't pick up on this line until seeing it the second time, where. The big wig, uh, Mr. Burt Lancaster's character, Mr. Happer, talks about the company's history. Uh, Mac is in the office, and there's a picture of his dad on the wall, and he explains that the founder of the company was Scottish, and that his dad bought him out, but he never saw fit to change the name of the company. <laughs> yeah. So, it's beautiful, and uh, as beautiful as this movie is, there's just that one point. Where, where, where did you want me to believe you were gonna go mm. with this crowd? What were they gonna do to I, this old man on the beach? I, I, and thankfully, we never got there. But I just thought it was out of place. I just thought like that was so menacing, and it was out of place. I, I, I just hoped that if it had moved forward, they were going to, you know make an offer they're going to pool the resources yes. to buy him a nice place to go away but toppy i think that the happier note on this is that the film gives us a moment where we understand that the haves and have nots do have common ground you have mr happer 
who's got all the money that he ever needs and can have anything he wants. For goodness sake, he's going to buy the town. And then there's the guy living on the beach who is literally living off the earth. Yeah, he's got nothing. He's in a he's in a wooden ramshackle shack of driftwood. Mm-hmm. That's where he lives. And the two can sit down over a glass of whiskey and just laugh the day away. Yeah, it was amazing. Uh, <clears throat> in in that same shot, the same beautiful shot of the crowd coming down and coalescing on the beach, and it feels a little dark. Well, it feels more than dark to me. It feels like menacing. And they're walking along the beach, and suddenly there's a light in the sky that you... First you think, well, it's the full moon. And then you think the swelling of music happens, and the the people are walking across the beach. And you think, I don't know, is that... That's not the moon. It's like, I don't know what it is. It's a fucking UFO. I don't know what it is. It turns out to be the helicopter that brings... Um, oh, Mr. And, Happer. Mm-hmm. Yeah, uh, Happer, and 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 it, it's such, it's such a goddamn magical moment. It's just the vision. Oh God, DJ, I can't tell you, I can't tell you how many of the visuals of this movie are touch points for me, and they're very much associated with the guy that did the the music. Mm-hmm. So I don't know. I I can't tell you how much this movie means to me and how much I love it. And I think you, what you hear about this movie is is a lot of people say, "Wow, you know, this is this is one of the best." They everybody says this is one of the best. Mm-hmm. So we are uh, about close to the. Uh, end of our hour, I was just going to take a moment and mention, as we said earlier, uh, Local Hero came out the year Toppy turned 21. Yeah! (laughs) When DJ, folks, when DJ tells me this, I said, what? (laughs) No. It was Toppy's coming-of-age film. It was, and I didn't, I couldn't believe it, but it was true. It was uh, true. So here is a film that I'll just mention briefly that we may someday take a journey on, because it is one of my favorite films. The film that came out, or a film that came out when I was 21, I didn't see until a year later when it was available for rental. Yes, I had a blockbuster card in those days, but it was a very important film for me, because little did I know that it was going to help me with the the um, unexpected loss of my father. This was a movie with Robin Williams and Annabella Sciorro called What Dreams May Come, and uh. it explores themes of the afterlife and coping with grief. So a very powerful film with lots of beautiful imagery. It took them so long to make this film because the world of the afterlife in Robin Williams' character's uh, perspective was the world of his wife's paintings because she was an artist. Yeah. So, what and, dreams uh, may come from 1998 in a future episode, folks? Uh, I've seen it, uh, DJs. It's, it's, it's worth seeing. It's a beautiful movie. Also, it's just sort of interesting that the movie Bill Forsyth ended his career in 
because he had to make so many changes, was also a Robin Williams. Oh! (laughs) Anyway, so it's just one of those things. So we're out here at the lobby, and, uh, you know, we got some little treats out here on the the refreshment stand. Uh, Check your expiration dates, folks. We're going to talk about things that... What did you... What did you mean by that? I keep this shit fresh. Oh, it's okay. Gertie, it's okay. Out of your handbag does not count, madame. All right, all right. (laughs) So, things you might like if you enjoy a local hero or anything that helps you escape. Uh, I'll, I'll go ahead, and this is a film from 1991 stars Mr. David Kelly, who in more recent years was in the uh, the remake of the, the Wonka film called Charlie and the Chocolate Factory with Johnny Depp. David Kelly in that played uh, Grandpa Joe. But in this 1991 film, David Kelly and Fanula Flanagan, who's one of my favorite Irish actresses, uh, so starred in a film called Waking Ned Divine. Now, Waking is, of course what you do in a memorial of someone who's passed in the Irish culture. You get together and you have a party to celebrate their life. So Waking Ned Divine is about a lottery winner who dies of shock. And his fellow townspeople attempt to claim the money. So someone's got to pretend to be the winner. 1991's Waking Ned Divine. DJ, that's an excellent selection. I could almost... I mean, I could almost see Bill Forsyth taking that movie up just from that description. Um, uh, it feels like his kind of stuff, so that's a, a great choice. I'm going to choose a television series that was on CBS from 1990 to 95. It ran a total of 110 episodes. It received 57 award nominations during its five years run. It won 27 of them, including the 1992 Primetime Emmy Award for Outstanding Drama Series. It won two additional Primetime Emmy Awards. It won four Creative Arts Emmy Awards. It won two Golden Globes. It starred Rob Morrow. It's a television series called Northern Exposure, and it has an amazing link to our movie tonight. Mm. It has the whole fish out of water thing. Mm-hmm. Uh, 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 when the, the 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 business guy comes to gets to uh, this small town, um, and and he he's like a fish out of water. Well, Northern Exposure has a character portrayed by Rob Morrow um, as as a doctor who comes to a fictional small town in Alaska. And he's a fish out of water. There's a there's a whole thing, and also uh, the structure of the show, the stories had a lot of that magic in it. Mm-hmm. You know, the woman with the webbed toes who was was she or was she a mermaid? I don't know. But Northern Exposure had all of that. Oh, and I would totally recommend if you liked. This movie, if you like um, Local Hero, you will absolutely love this television series because it's got so much of the same themes. You're just going to love it. Uh, so that's Northern Exposure. 
five years, five year run on CBS television. Oh, well, you know, Tappy, I've watched Northern Exposure before. I think that might have been a show I caught with my dad. And I will say that my favorite character, or at least one of my favorite characters on there, is the indigenous woman, Marilyn, who often works in the oh doctor's office. Oh, my God. <laughs> she was so good. <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> I know. I know. She was like, I, I, if you can't, I can't even describe why. Why do we like her so much, DJ? I think that she just um, is so honest and she catches you off guard because yeah. the character is considered to be somebody who is perceived as not, you know, the brightest bulb. But she's actually quite sharp and she just doesn't talk a lot. <laughs> and when she does, it's kind of profound. <laughs> God damn, that's a good show, DJ. Northern Exposure. Oh, all right. Well, we are out here at the lobby the end of our hour here so of course lots of things happened here in the past vaudeville magic acts toppy go ahead and reach up on that shelf and get the coins for me oh yeah yeah i got them right here here we go okay we're gonna find out what's next that'll be on friday july 15th put it in a slot yo uh, oh look DJ, I'm opening up the capsule. Oh. Wait a minute, how do you do it? Oh, oh Jesus, I did it. Uh, <laughs> DJ, next time on Matinee Minutia. Oh, my God, I love this movie. 1963. Oh, God, it's a romance and suspense thriller. Audrey Hepburn stars as a woman who is pursued by several men who want a fortune. Her murdered husband is stolen from them. And uh, Harry Grant. Well, is he the man that will save her, or will he destroy her? You'll, you'll have to find out in 1963's Charade with Audrey Hepburn and Cary Grant. Charade, next time on Matinee Minutia. Oh, you know, in every Audrey Hepburn movie is like a fashion magazine. You just have to see what she's wearing. And uh, this is just such a great film. I've seen it myself. You you have to watch it just to see what an apartment is like in Paris in that time. Oh, my God. Uh, there's all kinds of things to appreciate about this movie. Uh, you're going to love it, folks. By the way, if you really, you know, there's a, well, it's not a great copy on YouTube. But if that's all you can find, well, there you go. Other services, uh you know, you can rent it for three or four bucks. And I, I just wanted to tell you, uh, DJ, uh, Tommy Hashbrown's in the chat room has pulled up a photo of Northern Exposure's Elaine Miles. And she did the role we were just talking about. Mm -hmm. uh, and she's the uh, she's known as Marilyn Whirlwind in that uh, Northern Exposure uh, television series. And she had so much to say, but she said very little. <laughs> Reminds me of my dearly departed grandfather. <laughs> we thought he was sleeping, but he was just resting his eyes, and he knew what you were talking about. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> so, Toppy, look over the balcony for me and tell us who was in the chat room tonight. We're really, really always pleased when people come by because... When we do the shoe, 
we do it live and we have a space for people to come and join us. And uh, the folks that are here listening live and present in our chat room where they can talk to us, we've got Lamont Cranston. We've got Marin Gertz. We've got our old belt, Donnie Hashbrun. And we're very, very thankful and happy that they're there to uh, just be here with us. And it makes all the difference, folks, all the difference. Thank you for being here. Okay, so we're going to go ahead and uh, take our bows and our encores. And uh, Toppy, if you will, please say goodnight in the, the ways of the old days of radio. And uh, <clears throat> goodnight, Gracie. Thank you for listening to Matinee Minutia. Our show streams live on the first and third Friday of the month. Go to univospods.net, click the tower for streaming audio. Enter Discord for our chat room. You can find our show anywhere you listen to podcasts. Find us on Twitter at Matinee Minutia. Find our group on Facebook. Or visit our webpage at matineeminutia.com. Have an idea for a show? Or why not let us know how we're doing? Email us at matineeminutia at gmail.com. I have a voice. I have a voice. You have a voice. You have a voice. We have a voice. We have a voice. Unique voices in podcasting. Univospods.net.